You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Open your Bibles to 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. 1 John 2, 18 and 19. We're continuing our series through 1 John this morning, which brings us to this passage. Um, full disclosure, I was planning on covering a lot more text this morning, uh, but ultimately decided against it because there's just so much going on in these two verses that I'd rather us take our time walking through it so we can better understand it and hopefully get more out of it that way. So kind of called an audible for that reason. So I hope you guys don't mind me slowing things down a bit and covering just two verses this morning, but I do ultimately think it's going to be for the best. Um, I think we'll get more out of it that way. So that said, let me read our text for this morning and then pray for us and we'll jump in. 1 John 2, 18 and 19 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Pray with me and we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning as your church, as your people. Lord, help us to focus on you this morning. Make this time together about worshiping and glorifying you together as a church family. Lord, help us to remember that the reason we're a church family, the reason that we're brothers and sisters in Christ um, is by the blood of Jesus alone. Lord, that, that Christ is our one and only hope of forgiveness, of salvation, of reconciliation to you that makes us a family. And so Lord, help us to remember that and, and keep the gospel uh, central in our hearts and minds and as our one and only hope, not only this morning as we worship you, but with the rest of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's walk through our text. Look at verse 18 to start. Again, it says, children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, just to find some terms up top here, the last hour, what's the last hour? What's John talking about? Well, the last hour or the last days or the end times, if you will, is the entire time frame between Christ's first and second comings. We've talked about this before, but just as a reminder, it's the, the last hour, the last days, the end times is the entire time frame between Christ's first and second comings. The apostles and John's immediate audience that he was writing to were living in the last days and we church are living in them now. Amen. Albeit we're closer to the end end, right? We're closer to Christ's return because that's how time works, but <laughs> we don't know when that'll be. We don't know when Christ will be returning, though we know that he will. And we know this, we know that the, the last days or uh, the last hour, the end times, if you will, is the entire time frame between Christ's first and second comings because all over the New Testament, the last days are talked about in the present tense and readers are instructed regarding the last days in the present tense over and over and over again in scripture. 
I'll give you just a few examples. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, for example, says, Long ago, at many times and in many day, ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Paul, in 1 Corinthians ten eleven says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Again, present tense. And then here in 1 John 2, 18, children, it is currently the last hour. Present tense at the time of John's writing. And we're in it today, right? Um, to give you an illustration, um, I've used this before when explaining this, but, but I, I think it might be helpful. It's this. I, I wouldn't instruct you uh, in tw 2,256, the year 2,256, okay, here's what I need you to do. Because you're not going to be around then, right? <laughs> so I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you instructions that way. And so I think that's, that's how we can take those passages. The, the New Testament authors were instructing their readers about the last days because they were in them. And so are we. Again, the last days being the entire period between Christ's first and second comings. He's giving them present tense instructions because they're in them. And so are we. John and his readers uh, here in 1 John, his immediate readership, we're living in them and we're church living in them now, the last days. The last days, which again we're living in now, are characterized by suffering and persecution and increased lawlessness and false teachers and apostasy and so forth. These are all marks or signs of the last days. All increasing with, as Kim Riddlebarger puts it, greater frequency and more intensity, all interspersed with periods of peace and prosperity until Christ's return. Until Christ returns, right? Um, you can picture this much like uh, contractions until the birth comes, that is Christ's return with the birth pains, as Jesus calls these things in Matthew 24, getting worse and worse, with periods of peace in between until the birth, in this analogy that is Christ's return. Does that make sense? So there's some themes we see with the last days that I just wanted to give us as we're jumping into this passage. And what's one of the birth pains that will characterize the last days? What's one of those birth pains? The appearance of Antichrist. That's one of those birth pains. Verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, we know we're in the last days because of the appearance of Antichrist. Which what John's getting at is, which you guys are dealing with right now in the form of these false teachers, which is one of the signs of the end of the age, of the last days. To give you an illustration, how do we know when we've crossed the state line into Illinois? Well, because of the sign that says, welcome to Illinois, right? <laughs> hey, we're here, right? We see the sign. The sign is telling us we've crossed into Illinois, right? It's the same kind of idea here, right? The appearance of Antichrist is one of the signs that says, welcome to the end times. That's why John is saying what he's saying here. John is getting this idea from Jesus specifically 
uh, from Jesus' teaching as we see in Matthew 24, uh, verses 4 and 5, and in verse 11, and in verse 23 and 24, which I'll just read all those together. Here's what Jesus says. It, It says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Verses 23 and 24, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is. Do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Here and in Mark's account in Mark 13, we see that the appearance of Antichrist is one of the signs of the last days. This seems to be where John is getting this idea. It's directly from Jesus' teaching, right? Now, the million-dollar question, what are antichrists? What are antichrists? And the follow-up question, is it antichrist, singular, or is it antichrists, plural? Which is it? Let's deal with the first question first. Okay, so firstly, what are antichrists? Well, at its base, antichrist just means against Christ. That's what the word means, right? So an antichrist is one who sets themselves against Christ, his gospel, his mission, his people, and so forth. We see later in our passage that antichrists deny Uh, that Jesus is the Christ. It actually won't be for our our passage. I wrote this, that note earlier. It'll be our passage we'll probably get to next week, but later uh, on in this section, we'll see that antichrists deny that Jesus is the Christ, meaning they deny uh, that Jesus is God himself in the flesh and the one and only savior of the world. Antichrists deny this, and in so doing, they oppose Christ. They are anti-Christ. You see that? But it may also mean, so so it's very base. It just means against Christ. (laughs) Those who have set themselves against Christ, they oppose Christ, they reject Christ as God himself in the flesh and the one only savior of the world. But it may also mean one who sets themselves in Christ's place. Another way to put that would be an imposter savior. I don't know why comic book analogies are coming to me recently, but I'm gonna go with another one. Think uh, Bizarro and Superman. Okay, kind of the bizarro is like an imposter, looks like Superman in some ways, but isn't the true Superman. Or you can think of the Spider-Man cartoon where there are multiple Spider-Men and they're all pointing at each other. That meme really makes me laugh. But you can kind of picture that. One of them is the real one, right? As, as, as Vaughn puts it in his commentary in 1 John, Antichrist then suggests one who, assuming the guise of Christ, opposes Christ. He is both a counterfeit Christ and a rival Christ, a usurper and an adversary. I like how he puts that. So an antichrist is at the very least one who opposes Christ, who may well try to take his place as well. That's kind of what we're seeing, either functionally or in falsely claiming to be Christ themselves, a la Matthew 24, uh, the, the, the verses I just quoted. A minute ago. The false teachers that John's readers were dealing with were antichrists on both counts. They opposed Christ by rejecting him and trying to lead his people astray, and by preaching a false gospel of salvation through enlightenment via their teaching, which was anti biblical and anti gospel. 
right? As opposed to the one true gospel of salvation by grace alone, completely undeserved, through faith in Christ alone via his perfect life and sacrificial death in our place, which are counted to us by faith. That's the one true gospel. So they were both, uh, the false teachers uh, that John's immediate readership were dealing with were both opposing Christ and trying to wear his clothes. (laughs) If you can kind of picture that. Like they're trying to function as Christ, as Savior themselves. They were uh, throwing on a Spider-Man Halloween costume and claiming to be Spider-Man. That's kind of what you can picture here. Which is why John can accurately describe them as antichrists. The shoe fits. The description fits there. Now, second question. So that's what antichrists are, right? That's what an antichrist is. Now, second question. Is it antichrist singular or antichrists plural? Which is it? Is it antichrist singular or antichrists plural? In short, yes. Uh, I'm going to do that again, but it's true. In, in short, yes, it's both. It's both Antichrist singular and Antichrist plural. In short, I believe what we see in Scripture is that there will be one final Antichrist singular to appear at the very end shortly before Christ's return. That's what I believe we see in Scripture. There will be one final one. This is the man of lawlessness that Paul writes about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, I believe the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist singular are the same person. That's my belief. Um, the, the Antichrist that will appear uh, shortly before Christ's return will, uh, to quote 2 Thess- Thessalonians 2.4, take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God and will deceive many and lead many astray, but will ultimately be defeated by the Lord Jesus when he returns. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 tells us as much. It says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus uh, will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jesus is pretty metal. Uh, (laughs) It's a pretty metal passage. But until then, many antichrists, plural, will appear. In other words, those who will play a similar role part but on a smaller scale until the final antichrist appears right they'll be opposing christ and leading people astray to their condemnation now i've used this analogy before of the great tribulation but i I, that that i believe uh there will be one final great tribulation at the very end just before christ's return and that's the big broadway production you can kind of think of it that way Um, but that there have been and will be many dress rehearsals, many off-Broadway productions of it until then, until the final Broadway production, right? Similar, smaller tribulations on a smaller scale. You can kind of picture that picture, right? Same idea here with the Antichrist in particular. I believe there will be one final Antichrist, singular, but many smaller Antichrists, plural, playing a similar, similar role along the way. Uh, kind of like the guy at Disney World dressed up like Iron Man. Sure, he's Iron Man on a smaller scale, right? Sure, sure. But Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, right? Like, he's Iron Man. You can kind of picture that. And I guess what I'm saying is that Robert Downey Jr. is the Antichrist. I guess that's what I'm getting at. I'm kidding. It's Chris Evans. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm definitely kidding. Don't email me. <laughs> definitely. 
Yeah, that's how jokes make it into my sermons, if they make me laugh. Um, So that said, look back at verse 18. Okay, now look back at that verse through that lens. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist, I believe singular, I believe that's who he's talking about, the Antichrist, is coming. So now many Antichrists, plural, have come, the smaller ones. Right? Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, the Antichrist, the final one, the big boss, right, hasn't come yet, but the smaller ones have and will continue to, right? Including the false teachers that you've been dealing with as of late, as, as John's writing this to his immediate readership, right? So think video games. Think that, that analogy. Um, the, the final boss Antichrist hasn't arrived yet, but the mini bosses have, and that's who you've been doing battle with as of late. That's kind of the idea. The mini bosses are here, right? Therefore, we know that it is the last hour because, again, these smaller bosses' arrival is one of the signs or marks of the last days. Again, it's one of the signs telling us where we are. Hey, we're in Illinois, right? Hey, we're in the end times. <laughs> Look at those antichrists. Look at them doing their antichrist thing. Antichrists do indeed be antichristing, right? Right over there with their false gospels. That's, that's what John's getting at, right? We can see them. We know we're in the end times. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Meaning, the false teachers and those who were led astray by them, in their going out from them, meaning in their permanently abandoning the faith, and in turn Christian fellowship with them in it, were showing that they never really had true faith to begin with. That's the idea. Because, as we've talked about many times as a church, true faith is enduring faith. True faith is enduring faith. Meaning, for the true believer, once we believe, our faith will endure, albeit imperfectly, until we reach the finish line, until we die or Christ returns, right? Why? Because for the true believer, God has promised to see to it that it does. God will make sure that it does for the true believer, right? Jesus says in John 10, 27, 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, for the true believer, we won't completely abandon the faith because God won't let it happen. Amen? Right, that's what we're seeing very clearly in this text. We've used this analogy for this before, but uh, I wanted to give it to you again. Picture a light switch with a dimmer, right? Our our faith may have varying degrees of of brightness or strength depending on the season, right? But once we believe, it'll never go out completely. It just won't, right? Because God won't let that happen. God, uh, to to use another picture, God has disabled that feature, (laughs) right? The, The off switch doesn't come on the true believer model. It's not a thing, right? So it can be varying degrees of brightness depending on season of life and what we're going through and, and all that, right? But it'll never go out completely, our faith, because God won't let that happen. We don't have that feature as true believers. So if a Christian's, quote unquote, if a Christian, if their, quote unquote, faith does go into the totally, completely off position, what does that tell you, church? Exactly, you're already thinking it. 
that that person isn't and never was truly a Christian. Because if they were, that wouldn't be possible, right? That's like saying that my phone is waterproof, but then it breaks when I take it underwater. Well, no, then it isn't, is it? Right? (laughs) It's not. If it truly were, that wouldn't be possible. And that's John's point in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us, meaning one of us true believers. For if they had been of us, if they had been true believers, they would have continued with us because... True faith is enduring faith, right? But they went out that it might become plain that they all, meaning all who went out, are not of us. That's John's point. As Vaughn puts it um, in in his commentary, again, I I really like this. He says, B.H. Carroll used to say, when you see a star fall, you can know that it is not a star. In light of John's statement, one could say, when you see a Christian fall, meaning totally abandon the faith, you can know that he is not a Christian. I really like that, that picture. And though a, a painful experience, I'm sure, John also highlights in verse 19 that the false teachers and their followers' departure fulfilled a divine purpose. We see this in the latter part of verse 19. It says, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. In other words, in their leaving... It exposed their true colors, that they weren't true believers with us after all, right? Vaughn summarizes this well. He says, John, from a higher perspective, saw their departure as providential. By leaving the Christian fellowship, the heretics unwittingly fulfilled a purpose of God. That purpose was that they be seen in their true character and that thereby their opportunity for damaging the church be limited. Painful though it must have been for the fellowship of believers, the secession of the Antichrist was in reality a benefit to them. The threat which they now posed for the people of God was far less dangerous than it would have been had they continued formally as part of the Christian group. That's a really good summary. Why? Because their true colors, meaning their lack of faith and their lack, therefore, as of trustworthiness as spiritual leaders, had been exposed and they're leaving right? Picture this. Would you rather discover the wolf in sheep's clothing and get bit by it for your trouble or not find out and have it endanger the whole flock? If there's a wolf in our midst, church, we should prefer to know and to deal with it no matter how painful it may be than have it continue to endanger the whole flock. That should be our preference. Painful as it may be, it's ultimately for the better. And church, we should trust that God will work it together for our good whenever this sort of thing happens, as he did with the Christians that John is immediately writing to, right? Romans 8, 28 tells us this, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, church, including when people we care about abandon the faith and so prove that they never were. Amen? God did so. He worked all things together for good for uh, John's immediate Christian audience, and he can and will do the same for us, church. Church, find rest in that promise, especially when people's leaving hurts. So in summary, if you're taking notes, here's the main point for this morning. It's simple, but... 
just to summarize, it's this. True believers will endure to the end. True believers will endure to the end. Once they believe, they will continue in the faith, albeit imperfectly, until they reach the finish line. Until they die or Christ returns. Again, once the light of faith is on, Right? It may have varying degrees of brightness depending on the season, but it'll never go out completely because for the Christian, God won't let it. God has disabled that feature. The off switch doesn't come on the true believer, on the true Christian model, right? So again, if a Christian completely abandons the faith, you can be sure that he's not a Christian. Again, to go back to this analogy, when you see a star fall, you can know that it's not a star, it's a meteor. I Googled it, right? <laughs> I was like, what is going on there? Oh, okay. When you see a star fall, you can know it's not a star. And when you see a Christian fall as in totally abandoned the faith, you can know that he's not a Christian. Amen? So what do we do? How do we respond to these verses? Two things I want to leave you with. One, trust both that those who go out from us are not of us and that those who are of us won't go out from us. Say that again. Trust both that those who go out from us are not of us and that those who are of us won't go out from us. So firstly, trust that those who go out from us are not of us. In other words, trust that the only quote-unquote Christians who will completely abandon the faith and in turn Christian fellowship aren't Christians at all. Frankly, church, this has happened to us before with, with people who were members of our church, who we thought were Christians up to that point. And odds are it may well happen to us again. But if and when it does, we need to remember this fundamental truth that they went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us and where is my last page there it is <laughs> but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us if they completely abandon the faith we're learning what was true the whole time church and that's that they never truly had it even if we previously thought that they did that's what we're learning in real time so don't let it rattle you, church. Um, th this, I think, is important. Just because they abandon the faith doesn't mean that you will, right? If you have true saving faith in Christ, you won't because God won't let you, just like they wouldn't have if they truly did. Amen? So remember that. Rest in that promise. If you truly his, no one will snatch you out of his hand. So we see in John 10, 28. So live accordingly, live with confidence in the faithfulness of God, that if you're truly his, you won't abandon God because God won't abandon you. Secondly, trust that those who are of us won't go out from us. Trust that those who are of us won't go out from us. Some of us really need to hear this, uh, and I think I'm one of them, to be honest with you. Uh, the, the true believers aren't going to bail on the faith because God won't let them. Amen? They won't. Some of us, myself included, are turning into the guy in the zombie movie who's losing his mind and thinks everybody's a zombie. Like, I, that, part of my heart is doing that. Are you, you're all going to do it, right? 
are you going to turn? What about you? You're all going to turn, right? It's that kind of paranoia, right? And, and, and look, here's the truth. We don't know everyone who's eventually going to abandon the faith because we can't see what God sees. We can't. We can't see the human heart, and spiritually at least, right? You can see it physically, surgery, anyway, whatever. But you, you know what I mean? You can't see spiritually the human heart the way that God can. So we don't know everybody that this is going to happen with ahead of time. We just don't. But we do know it's not going to be everybody. It's not going to be everybody because the true believers will endure to the end. So breathe. <laughs> not everybody's a zombie. Put the cricket bat down, okay? If you know, you know. And because the true believers will endure to the end, because no one will snatch them out of God's hand, you can't possibly screw this up in a way that ends with their completely abandoning the faith never to return. This is just a good reminder. You can definitely make mistakes in discipleship. You definitely can, and, and you will, as, as sinners, right? I do it all the time, try as I might to avoid that. It happens, right? But you couldn't drive a true disciple to completely abandon the faith even if you tried. You couldn't. It's not possible. Though you definitely shouldn't. Don't try to do that. It'd be a weird thing to try to do. But you couldn't even if you tried, right? Again, because God has disabled that feature. The off switch doesn't come on the true believer model. It's just not a thing. So make disciples with boldness. Make disciples with boldness. Say what you need to say. Correct where you need to correct. Speak the truth, church. Just do so in love. Amen? You can't break them. Meaning you, you can't cause them to abandon the faith if they're true believers. So say what you need to say. Press where you need to press. Again, just do so in love. Secondly and lastly, continue in the faith and so prove to be true disciples. Continue in the faith and so prove to be true disciples. Keep pressing on and learning and growing in the faith until you die or Christ returns and so prove to be true disciples of Jesus Christ because true believers will endure to the end. And the good news, church, is if you're truly his, you will. You will. Because as Jesus says in John 10, 27, 28, again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if you're truly his, keep running the race, keep fighting the good fight of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit until you reach the finish line. And if you're truly his, you will make it. You'll make it because God will make sure that you do. Church, let's rest in that promise as we continue to worship together this morning. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. Help us to remember that true believers will endure to the end because you will make sure that they do. And that includes those of us who are true believers. Help us to remember that, to rest in that promise this morning. To remember that the only reason we're your people to begin with is by the blood of Jesus, by his perfect life and sacrificial death in our place. We have no righteousness of our own, but only that which comes through faith in Jesus. Lord, help us to remember that. Help, help that good news to be our one and only hope this morning and with the rest of our lives as we continue to fight the good fight of faith. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.